Good question. Good question. That's what, uh, that's what your teacher used to say. She used to say, there are no bad questions, right? We want to put questions right here at the center of the fall, right in the middle of our fellowship. We want people to feel like their questions are welcome. Questions say more about us than nearly anything else. Questions are a kind of confession, right? So we've been looking at the perennial questions of life, those questions that, that come up that in people's uh, coming of age, they begin to confront the big questions in life. Who am I? Where do I fit? And then today, what difference can I make? How can I make a difference? You know, everybody at some point in life begins to discover that suffering is a problem. Even the potential for suffering. And it begins to, to work on us, doesn't it? I mean, we begin to think, gosh, this problem is, it really says something about the world I'm living in. And it says something about life itself and my responsibility. And we begin to worry about that. It begins to work on us. And we begin to even blame God. We begin to kind of push off against God and say, you know, this is, this, this world is, is a mess. And so the question begins to become not just a head question, but it becomes a heart question. It really begins to, to pulse within us. And we want to make a difference. We want to we see things different for any variety of reasons and motivations. Steve Jobs said, I want to make a ding in the universe. We carry around these these little computers called smartphones as a result. Is that the kind of ding that we need to make? Is, our li uh, our, is your life better because of that phone? Now, it maybe it's more convenient, right? But when we discover something, doesn't the human capacity for good and evil enter in, Right? I mean, just as many good things as bad things enter in to every discovery, whether it's nuclear power or a smartphone. So this morning, we need to ask the question, what kind of difference are we going to make? Not just the ding kind of difference where we're working on conditions, but an unconditional difference. What does that look like? Well... It looks like a blessing. From the Word of God, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 15. Would you turn with me now in your, your Bibles uh, or on your smartphone <laughs> and take a look at 1 Peter chapter 3 with me. Finally, all of you, mind, Sympathy of brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For, and then he quotes, Peter quotes, Psalm 34, 
Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ as Lord, as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. This is God's word. Let us pray. God, bless us now through your word, not only to our minds to understand it, but to our hearts to receive it, that through our lives we may live it. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm, I'm very reluctant to use the word blessing in everyday life, very reluctant, because it's usually used wrongly, right? Especially in the South. Now, you know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, a parking spot opens up in front of Publix, and you're like, ah, a blessing, right? <laughs> All right, well, maybe a parking spot. You know, I mean, that's pretty rare. You know, when you get the parking spot, that might be a blessing. All right, maybe that is a blessing. No, no, it's not. Winning the lottery. You know, we use the word blessing as sort of a Christian version of good luck. We had good luck, right? But we're going to call it a blessing because we're Christians. But what you meant was good luck. You know, uh, seven out of 100 people in the world, if you measure the world on a scale of 100 people, seven out of 100 have regular, healthy, nutritious food daily, clean water, and a college education. And you might say, well, in the United States, aren't we blessed? Wrong. It's not a blessing. That's not how the scripture uses the word blessing. Blessing is something unconditional. Unconditional. Eugene Peterson goes through the Beatitudes. Jesus beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there's more of God. He goes through them one by one, and he shows that what blessing is about is something, an acceptance that just can never be lost. A hope, a hope that is eternal. And so let's take a look at how we are called to make a difference. Not a conditional one but an unconditional one, to live blessed and to bless others is simply this. It's to have a new view and to be a new you. A new view and a new you. Let's take a look. Those are just indexes, just to grab onto it. So your mind can say, okay, we're going to talk about a new view of things, and then how does that apply to me, right? That new view and a new you. First, 
To make a, an eternal difference, to make an unconditional difference, we have a new view of things, a new view. And here's the view in a nutshell. What, what Peter is walking through is a new view of life. And, and, and that view is just simply this. You are unworthy, but not worthless. That human life, that the human condition is unconditionally blessed. Do you see that? The human condition is unconditionally blessed. And you can sum that up, and you should take this with you. You're unworthy, but not worthless. Verses 8 through 13. In the NIV version of it, it says, to this you were called. Now, as you read through this scripture, it might seem like, well, here's what it takes to be blessed. Well, you're supposed to, uh, if you see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. That sounds like a threat. It's not. It's saying, to this you were called. It's a done deal. And so the eyes of the Lord are there to strengthen those. Whenever the scriptures talk about the eyes of the Lord being on the righteous, he's saying, what he's saying is God's eyes range to and fro across the whole earth to strengthen those whom he loves. This isn't about the conditions upon which God blesses you. This is the fact that you are unconditionally blessed, unworthy, but not worthless. And so, Embracing that, recognizing that, experiencing that unconditional regard for God, that unconditional acceptance. Here's how we are to then live. Empowered by that idea, that ideal. Unworthy, but not worthless. Unworthy, but not worthless. This is the ideal that drove Luther. Martin Luther the one that uh, Tyler mentioned a few minutes ago, the one who sparked the Reformation that took the church and the Western world back to the authority of God, the Word of God, the faith, by faith alone we're saved. Martin Luther was a, a monk and a professor. He was one of the most brilliant men of his age. And he was teaching classes on Romans and on 1 Corinthians and he did not understand the gospel. In fact, when he nailed the 95 Theses to the Wittenberg door, he was just saying, hey, I've been re... It's kind of like this is what he was saying. The Wittenberg door was kind of like a kiosk. And if you wanted to stir things up, you, you, you maybe put a, a, a sign up there and said, you know, make, made some declaration. Hey, let's talk about this thing. It's kind of like, hey, students, let's, let's wrestle with something. And so he put this, these 95 theses up there, and he said, let's, let's think about it, because I've been reading Romans, and I've been reading 1 Corinthians, and I'm wondering, uh, either these are not the Gospels, or we're not Christians, right? And because what, what they were practicing was not Christianity. They were practicing uh, religion, really contingent, something conditional, where you do this, and then you're blessed. And he's realizing, well, let me read it to you in his own words. He says, a single word in Romans 1, the righteousness of God revealed, stood in my way. The righteousness of God, that word, that term, the righteousness of God, righteousness, stood in his way. How? For I hated that word, righteousness of God. 
which I had been taught to understand God is righteous and punishes the unrighteous sinner. He hated it, he says. Now listen, it gets, it gets even worse, it gets stronger. He says, though I lived as a monk without reproach, I felt like I was a sinner before God with an extremely disturbed conscience. I hated the righteous God who punishes sinners. And secretly, if not blasphemously, I was angry with God. We're getting honest this morning. I want you to get honest with yourself. Is this you? Could be. It's been me. I've been here. When I was asking these questions as a teenager, when I faced unspeakable tragedy and and the potential for more of it, I was angry. Have you ever connected with that? Have you ever admitted it? Then, here's the turn. At last, by the mercy of God, I gave heed to the context of those words. The context, okay? You ever heard context is king? Context is king? Namely, here it is. You ready? He who through faith is righteous shall live. There, reformation is born. He says, there I began to understand that the righteousness of God is a gift of God. You're unworthy, but not worthless. It's a gift of God, namely by faith. And this is the meaning. The righteousness of God is revealed by the gospel, namely the passive righteousness with which a merciful God justifies by faith. Here I felt that I was altogether born again and had entered paradise itself through open gates. There a totally other face of the entire scripture showed itself to me. See, this was the change of heart in Luther. And you wonder, why was he willing to go to death as a heretic? At the Diet of Worms, at this trial later on in his life, when he stood on the word of God and said, this is where I stand, I can do nothing else. I must stand on this word. I've already had life under human conditions. I'm not going to trade it back. I've received unconditional blessing from God now. And the church needs to hear that. And the church needs to experience it. Because this is the lifeblood of the gospel. And that's why he was willing to be martyred for his faith. As a result of this experience with the gospel. Unworthy, but not worthless. A whole new view. A whole new view. You say, okay, I can see that. That is powerful for the person. But how does it make a difference in the lives of other people? Well, because there's a whole new you going into your spheres of influence, your life with other people. There's a whole new you as a result. So let's take a look. To be free, to be about what you're about, that's a new you, no matter what. To be free, to be about what you're about. Are you free to be about what you're about, what you're about? Like if you experience the gospel of God, if you experience the unconditional, you are unworthy but not worthless kind of acceptance of God, are you free to be about that? Are, are you free to be about what you're about? Or are you conditioned? continually conditioned by 
the world around you. You know, sometimes people will do this. They'll, they'll try to get a reaction out of you. And then when you do react the way they try to get you to react, then they'll fault you with it. You ever notice that? <laughs> it's like, I'm going to get you to react. And then I'm going to say, see, look at you. What's your problem? Right? I mean, why would people do that? Well, sometimes we do things or maybe what we're about is about something that threatens them. It threatens them. Like Luther. Luther was about something that threatened the powers that be. Wilberforce is another figure. Some 300 years later, William Wilberforce, who precipitated the end of the slave trade, changed. You know, that, there's a guy who made a difference. Let's take a look at his life for a minute. How did he make a difference? How did he make a difference? You know, before we look at him, let me just read this scripture to you again. Now, who is there to harm you if you're zealous? Verse 13. Now, who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? Well, that was Wilberforce. He was zealous for what is good. Who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ as Lord. So here's Wilberforce being called by a group of people who had named themselves the Clapham sect which in included William Pitt, who was the prime minister of Great Britain at the time. And they were, they were coming together to talk about uh, the slave trade. And Wilberforce was tenacious. He was also very, very adept politically, very kind, really mannered and respected. And over his lifetime, it really took almost his entire lifetime to bring this change. He kept charging at that gate again and again until it would open. And in the middle of all this, people, powerful people, people tied into the slave trade, discredited, sought to discredit him, really. They sought to discredit him. They called him a fanatic. A fanatic. That's, a, that's an easy ad hominem. It's an easy thing to sting somebody with if you're doing something that's disruptive, right? Not just iPhone disruptive, but life-on-life life disruptive, right? The whole economy disruptive. Like the way you see other people and the way you treat other people disruptive. When you're doing something disruptive like that and people don't like it and economically they're threatened by it, they just they might not have an argument, but they could call you a name. And that's what people began to call Wilberforce, a fanatic. And this is what he said. If to feel the suffering of my fellow creatures is to be a fanatic, <laughs> I am one of the most incurable fanatics ever to be permitted to live at large. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? I love that. Why was he free to be about what he was about? Because he experienced the unconditional acceptance of God. He'd experienced it, and he wanted it for other people. He was free not to be tagged, not to be incited to react, but to respond well. Not to react and say, okay, well, tit for tat, you know, you called me a fanatic, I'm going to call you something else, right? But to be about what he was about. Wouldn't that be nice to see some of that? 
Wouldn't you like that? I would. Not to go tit for tat, not to say, okay, I'm going to call you this, you're going to call me that. But to say, hey, here's something worth going for. And whatever you have to say, hey, look, I'm just going to own it. If, if, if being about the care and concern for my fellow creatures makes me a fanatic, I'm a fanatic. Join me. Freedom, you see, to be about what he's about. Well, so here's the thing. If you have this new view and this new you, right, this new view, what's the new view, right? You are unworthy but not worthless. Have you gotten it by now? You are unworthy but not worthless. That's the gospel. If you have this new view and it's yielded the freedom, even when people incite you to something, be some, about something else, it's yielded the freedom to be about what you're about. If you have those two things, a new you and new view, you're going to have some explaining to do. People are going to say, there's something wrong with you. Well, there's something right with you. And you're going to have to explain it. You're going to have to explain what's going on. You see, most people, they want to make a measurable difference. They want to make a ding in the universe, right? Most people want to see the difference that they're making, and they get impatient. You know, Wilberforce, he, it took him his entire lifetime. We want to see the fruit, right? If we're going to plant the seeds, if we're going to take the energy to plant the seeds, we want to see the fruit. We want to have those warm fuzzies, right, of the thing that we're working on. We want to experience the blessing, right? And we call it a blessing, but it's not. You see, everything that you can do to make a difference in the life of somebody else that is conditional is a platform for the gospel. Now, go spend some time around Lynn Frazier. It will do you good. I mean, just being around that woman does you good. I mean, it, 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 she is, she's made of some different stuff, right? I mean, she's just... And can you imagine walking into First Option Care and, and, and being somebody who's in crisis and then being greeted by that woman? I mean, what an incredible... Uh, what what incredible turn of events that would be. But here it is. Not that she could make the conditions go away, but that she could represent on the basis of that crisis moment to be able to say there's something that can't be taken away. There's something that you need that cannot be removed. There's something that I, I, I would love to share with you. You see, a lot of times what we want to do, we look at the unevenness of life and we feel guilty and we want to get involved and we want to see a difference because we feel bad. And then guess what? That's about you. That's about me. We want to we get in there. We want to tinker with stuff so that things look better and that we can see some measurable result. And people understand it when you're about that. If you feel guilty and that's what's driving you, people are going to, they're going to get that. They're going to understand that because you're going to want a quick fix and you're going you're gonna to want to see the measured result. But when you have a new view and when you have a new you, you're going to have some explaining to do because people are going to say, you keep showing up. You keep showing up. You're about relationship. You don't seem to be about just sort of your own agenda. You don't, you don't seem to be driven by some anxious desire for a quick fix. You seem to have something in mind 
you seem to have a light and a hope. Now, does this describe you and your spheres of influence? If it doesn't, then I think you have to ask yourself this question. Why not? Why not? So verse 15 says this. Always be prepared to make a defense for that new you and that new view. To anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. Why would somebody ask? Why would somebody ask? Always be prepared to, to give a defense for the reason, for the hope that is in you. Why would somebody ask? Well, if they see it, then they're going to ask. Are they seeing it? Are they seeing it? They'll see when they see it. And when you're involved, no matter whether you're, I mean, heard plans for an urban garden. I love that idea. We think about our involvement in First Option Care or in Yakima. You know, people are not cooperative about change. You know, sometimes we want more for them than they want for themselves. And they're not quick to change. And we're going, don't you want to get better? Come on, let's go. I mean, golly, the clock is ticking here. Let's get you in a better place. Sometimes we want more for people than they want for themselves. That's ministry. And in the midst of that, do you have a hope that isn't conditioned on what you're seeing? Do you have a hope and an invitation to them? Are you living in the light of something that you can share with them that doesn't have anything to do with their circumstances, but because you're willing to enter those circumstances, those conditions, you can live and present to them something unconditional. Do you have it? That's why Alexander Pope said, hope springs eternal in the human breast. Man never is but always to be blessed. The soul, uneasy and confined from home, rests and dwells on a life to come. Let's pray. Lord God, we pray that the gospel would spark and burn more brightly than it has before, that we would live outwardly with our inward hope. God, give us the courage to be about what we're about. Give us a new view. Give us an unconditional new view that blessed we may bless. In Jesus' name, amen.